welcome back, and here we go for another episode of FileMaker Talk. That's right, it's FileMaker Talk with Matt and Matt. I like that bass line. Yep. How you doing, Dr. Petrovskaya? Good. Ooh, it was like a little weird effect in there. You're just playing now, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> a phaser or something. Letting everybody uh, just get warmed up, get their brains ready. Yep. Ready for her uh, file maker. Ready for the end of 2016. Whew, what a year. Yes, uh, at least that's when we're recording this. Five days prior to Christmas. That's right. Christmas. I've got kids. Christmas, yeah. every time it comes around, you're not thinking just about, like, what do I get for my special other person? Yeah. You're thinking, oh, I've got all these other people. Of course, my wife, she helps out and does sure. a lot of most of the shopping because she likes to make sure they're covered. So I'm fortunate in that regard. Yeah, I don't really have any Christmas anything. I have some Christmas lights hanging up in my house, and that's it. No tree, no gifts, no. Oh, man. Every year yeah. I get the, uh, when are you going to put up the house lights? Oh, boy. <laughs> I have to do the the whole bottom stairs, the whole yeah. top stairs. But then she does the rest of them, so that's good. Put them up around what? Uh, shrubs, bushes, oh, yeah? trees. In October or so? Make it look bad. No. <laughs> I'm like, oh, November 1st is fine. The fact that I have to take it down in a month, ay, ay, ay. I yeah. like to build things that last, like software. Exactly. Well, for the most part, last. Well, no, really. I mean, I was just before we started, you and I were looking at a little database that I'm in the middle of right now. It's a program that I wrote 20 years ago for a customer <laughs> and converted it so they've been running all this time on FileMaker, I don't know, three or four or something like that. They still are running an ancient version of FileMaker. And now we're kind of redoing it, rewriting it, and uh, adapting it. And so I was looking at this huge nested if statement of like 20 levels of nested if and going, oh, I want to rewrite this with a let and a case <laughs> to make Holy. it much simpler. Oh, my gosh, yes. I the let I just shot a video about the let function. I love the let function. It's my favorite. I mean, it's uh, actually one directly applicable example of the let function and how it really rocks is um, I use the monkey bread plugin. We'll be talking mm -hmm. about uh, where I used it most recently. But uh, a lot of his examples, they have set variable after set variable after set variable. Now, in the script workspace, that works and it's great because you can see the name of the variable and then you can see what it's set to. But I call in FileMaker parlance, I call that dialogue hell because you are going in and out, in and out, in and out. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, once you set the script step, it's pretty much set and you're not going into it again. But as you edit and develop the script, having to go in and out of those things, oh, it's just a pain. But when you're working with plugins, plugins typically you will need to make multiple calls or at least with MBS. Mm -hmm. So like with curl, you'll set up a curl. Then you have to set uh, maybe four or five options. Then you have to tell it the URL you want it to go to. Then you have to tell it to actually perform that. So you're calling actually like 15 different functions. Mm -hmm. That's made for the let statement. So you set yep. one set variable, create a let, 
call the function, call the function, call the function, call the function, return yep. your result. You're editing in one dialog box, not going in and out of a bunch, and it, you're done. Yeah, and if you're not doing math or calculations that you need to attest atomically for each of those lines, um, and you don't have really complex parameters or parentheses or anything like that where you'd really want to do them individually, I totally agree. Then that's the way to do it. Well, you know, even when you're doing it within a let statement, if you need to test for a value, the very next line after one of your locally scoped variables, just set a globally scoped variable of whatever the result of that was. Mm-hmm. And the next time that evaluates, you can, you can preview all of your global variables and see whatever debug information you want, which is really yep. nice. So, well, what do we have on for our schedule today? Well, we have some New Year's resolutions. We have, what do you want to do with FileMaker? We're talking about the new fun MacBook Pro that I just got. And uh, I'm going to talk about uh, a little toy I got since it's Christmas oh, yeah. what'd time. You get? What'd you get? DJI Osmo Mobile. What is that? Uh, is a... You made that up. <laughs> <laughs> it is a gimbal. Oh. It's a video gimbal that, oh my gosh, if you want to see, just search on YouTube for DJI Osmo Mobile. I think I've seen some uh, YouTube videos on that thing. You can it's, just hold it, and it just completely steadily holds your phone butter. perfectly. I'm talking yeah. butter. It is yeah. so smooth video. It's amazing that if you can get the quality out of your phone now, you pair it with this other device. It's three ninety nine, so it's not cheap, but mm-hmm. people are making full-on movies with this stuff. Handheld well, yeah, equipment. Phone shoots 4K now. Yep. The, the dual lens on the new iPhone, amazing. Yep. The, spaces, the space for storage and the lenses are the only like, shortcomings. The camera yeah. quality is like there. It's crazy. Yeah. It's really true. So. Yeah, and the lenses. Well, actually, the dual camera is really on the new iPhone, the big 7 or whatever. Um, uh, the, the 2X zoom camera. And then the uh, digital zoom capability of the 2X zoom gives you actually usable 10x zoom pictures. Oh my gosh. See, I had just oh. gotten a 6S just, uh, I think, three months before or they released the 7. Because once I found out what the 7 had coming out, I was like, eh, it's not that much. But the camera, but the camera that I want with the uh, optical stabilization is on the, the 7 Plus. I right. Mean, I don't want one that big. For a I don't want one that big either, but... I have it, so whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you know, just before we started recording, you were telling me some interesting stuff that there was this contrast that we had in terms of the types of work that uh, that we do, and so I was really intrigued. You've got a, a way that you uh, approach in your business in terms of what most people need, and. Well, I mean, if when I take a look back at the last 50 or so projects we've done, and we've really ramped it up in terms of doing tons of projects, um, almost all of them are really basic uh, a detail view, list view, and a search view for however many tables they have, five tables, 50 tables, whatever, with no fancy anything, no plugins, maybe a credit card plugin here and there pretty sparse use of any of the other technologies, like really not even that much FileMaker Go or WebDirect. Um, 
just really basic databases. No SQL, no SQL sources, no, you know, just basically they come and they say, hey, I've got a budget. I've got five grand or 20 grand and I want to do this. And we've used FileMaker before or we haven't used FileMaker before. Here's our, here's our data from spreadsheets or whatever other thing we use. What can you do on that budget? And you've got, you're needing people. You're like, yes. you're We're, like that, that type of work is filling your plate. Yeah, we need another developer or two right now. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty good to hear. I mean, I've, I haven't, I've done some development recently um, for another company, but I had not done development for quite a while. I and then yeah, you, you said products and the magazine, but it's out yeah. there. Lots of work from what there really hearing. is. Yeah, for fun. I mean, you know, it, it kind of it does. It's definitely seasonal. We had in this last year, we had a pretty dry spell uh, in which we were able to focus on some internal projects. So that's kind of nice. I mean, I don't want it to be busy all the time. Because yeah. we have several other little free utilities that we want to build. I want to rewrite FM search results and release that again uh, to use PSOS and to use different um, uh, different display mechanisms. So right now we're, it's all like global variables or global repeating fields for the display widget. You, you almost didn't hear me giggling. Every time, you, <laughs> every time I hear someone I say that, I'm like, yellow snow. Yeah. <laughs> Don't eat yellow snow. Yeah. Yeah. I know. But what, what's, what else? I mean, that's what it's called, right? PSOS. Oh, uh, yeah. Us and our geeky acronyms. Exactly. Yeah. Mar- I mean, FileMaker's doing, their, their marketing has been, they really are picking up their marketing. In fact, I saw recently that it wasn't it, uh, Rosemary, uh, a, yeah. a former uh, system engineer, engineer. Uh, switched, and she's doing marketing now. Yes, I saw her announcement on that, uh, which is awesome. Change yep. is good. <laughs> um, I don't know. It'll be really interesting to see. She she was an awesome system engineer. I think she's going to be really great at whatever she turns her attention to, but I'm really curious to see what she does. Well, they're definitely kicking their marketing up a notch and really putting a lot of things out there in terms of uh, their their tweets are more frequent and mm-hmm. they've got other people on a program where you basically see a lot of the same tweets, which is a bit annoying, but it's, you know, they're getting themselves out there more and more. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, it is. It means maybe people are like, okay, this is a serious tech tool. We can use it to do some cool stuff. Especially with hooks out to outside stuff. The um, I know, I know. I'm really looking forward to on my new um, MacBook to when the Touch Bar, uh, when FileMaker actually takes advantage of that. Very, very few apps do. And what do you um, want to do with it? Uh, well, that's a good question. So, like in iTunes, which is a, an app that takes really good advantage of it, you can use it to change the volume and change the track and see some stuff like that. So, like, if you're listening, you can just tap the keyboard, and then you get a little volume slider that appears right on the keyboard. Cool. Turn the volume up or down. I love that. Um, if you have Safari open, uh, a little icon appears for all of the tabs that you have open. So, if you want to switch tabs, rather than using your mouse and keyboard, you can just tap on your keyboard to the tab you want, and it becomes the current tab. Chrome doesn't do that yet, but it's, they're, they're going to have to. Um, I hope they do, because that's my browser of choice these days. Command-shift bracket. Sure. 
sorry. Yeah, there's keyboard shortcuts for that stuff too. But that's that just goes one. So if you've got, I always have, how many do I have? One, two, three, four, five, 15, 10, 10 tabs at least open right now in Chrome. Gotcha. Uh, five or six of them are pinned. Uh, I pen Gmail and Calendar. A Citrix login for my uh, state project. Um, AWS console and a couple of other consoles are always just kind of there all day, every day. Very nice. So that'll be neat. And then, yeah, I'm kind of switching over uh, away from kind of the iMac as my main computer because I use three computers in different places I go. And I think now I want to just kind of replace them all with just this one notebook and then just have monitors. And as much as I love the iMac 5K, the biggest monitor that Apple makes is the 27, which you think is pretty nice. But LG has these 34-inch monitors that we have one of here now, and it is impossibly nice. Um, and you got one of these? Yeah, we have one. Um, so it's an ultra-wide monitor, IPS. Uh, and it's – so it's like ridiculously wide and like normal tall. So there's two resolutions you can get them in. 2560 by 1080, so 1080p, kind of right. a TV, but with way more, way more width than a normal one. And those actually start at 317 bucks on Amazon, pretty cheap. Um, however, that resolution is not that great. So if you're, used to a res- if you're used to a retina screen, you won't like that resolution. All the pixels are going to be really big. Right. And so they have another one, uh, several different ones you can get that are 3440 by 1440 pixels. So they give you 50% more pixels for the same size and those cost more money there's i think they started out maybe five or six hundred bucks and then they have ones with thunderbolt and i think apple was talking about one coming out with usb3 thunderbolt um and your laptop drives that oh yeah yeah the laptop will drive i think two or three of them (laughs) wow that's nice yeah the the video card in the macbook is is pretty high-end um but yeah, certainly one, no problem. Any, just about any recent Mac will drive one of those. Um, That's, uh, I, I think the last time I got a laptop was uh, 2013. So I'm three years on my laptop. My, but my iMac, I think, is uh, when it's a 5K, and I think it's, I don't know, late 2015 is what it says. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty high NVIDIA card there, too. So. Yeah, it's interesting having having the uh, only one kind of port uh, on the device is definitely weird. <laughs> yeah, what is that? That USB C? Yeah, USB C. Huh. Yeah, yeah. That that one thing, I, that one aspect, I just don't like that. People have such an investment in uh, these stupid dongles. I mean, I go into my bag, yeah. my laptop bag, and I can seriously pull out five of them. They they go across my Mac and the iPads, but. It's just crazy. Yeah, it's a little annoying. All for the sake of minimalism. But it seems to me, though, that if there's going to be one port that could actually be for everything, I mean, why doesn't that port replace the lightning port now? I have no idea. Because if you can charge and get signal, that's what lightning does for your iPhone. And the USB-C is about the same size as Lightning. It's reversible like Lightning. Hmm. 
Now, you know, to have to have a USB-C to lightning adapter for my computer, it just seems kind of dumb. <laughs> because then I could only have one kind of cable. There's really never been an option to have just one kind of cable until now, I think. I'm going to go to Linux, man. <laughs> deck out my computer and just go all Linux. Oh, wait, I can't. I'm on, I'm on a Mac because of FileMaker. Yeah, exactly. Can't do that. So, speaking so, of adapters, yes, I recently had. Uh, have you ever uh, made a iPad work on Ethernet? Uh, no. You can do it. Really? Yep. In fact, I uh, was doing a solution for a TV show that was a photo booth application, and it needed to be very fast because I was running server-side scripts that were doing a lot of uh, heavy photo manipulation, mm-hmm. obviously, because people are taking pictures of themselves. So I went out, did some research. You can get your uh, Mac, uh, your iPad to run on Ethernet. You basically get the um, camera adapter. So it's the mm-hmm. camera adapter that goes into the, the uh, Thunderbolt. Light. Right, lightning. And, and then it has a USB thing for you to be able to plug in a little USB stick. Mm-hmm. But then it also has the little, uh, a, the little side port in order to be able to give it power. Right, I have so, one of those. So you then buy the uh, USB to Ethernet <clears throat> little adapter. Yep, I And you plug that into the camera port. Interesting. Into the USB port. Into yeah, that, so lightning that to USB to Ethernet, basically. Yeah, and the, the deal is that the, the Ethernet needs power. It needs enough power that even when you plug it in and it says it won't work, it does work. Because hmm. the, the power, when plugged into the camera kit, gives, a, gives the Ethernet enough. And so hmm. it works. And so you can get, you know, whatever. I'm guessing it does gigabit, but, I mean, just ultra-fast connection. Huh. And we we needed that because the the iPad when people are basically taking these pictures, the iPad itself cannot process the pictures. So basically, there's two different shoot modes. Um, it was a really interesting project. First, you have to be able to invoke the camera, let somebody preview the picture, and give a delay before the shutter actually releases. FileMaker's native camera does not allow you to do that. You have to right. physically interact with it by hitting a button. Yep. So, so we had to make a custom app that stood outside. So we made a call with a, a, basically a custom URL to it, and it in turn made a call back with an FMP URL in order to re-invoke the FileMaker database. Mm-hmm. But we're also doing that it took three pictures and then combining those three pictures to make an animated GIF. And so hmm. the animated GIF all of this photo manipulation has to happen server-side with a server-side script. So I did all of it with the MBS plugin because it's got a built-in library called um, Graphics Magic, which has been a command-line tool that's absolutely brilliant for being able to do all kinds of manipulation on Linux boxes. Mm-hmm. And it turned out perfectly. I mean, it just, everything came together. It was, you know, right at the last minute we were pushing to get the, the custom app done. But it just showed to me that you can make FileMaker do pretty much anything and make it seem like it's a full-on custom app. The user has no clue that it's FileMaker, and you've got this photo booth app that's going to take pictures, you know, 
of people and we're sending mm-hmm. them out via email, via uh, SMS. You just basically put in your number and then bring all of a sudden your animated gift just shows up right there on your phone in your messages nice. app. It's, it's, it's so cool what you can do with FileMaker. Mm-hmm. So when at the hub, yeah, we started, I just recently got that, uh, SMS gateway thing working. It was pretty ridiculously easy. Did you use the, uh, the, there's a, a provider out there that's using, that's doing SMS. I use, I have a Twilio account. Okay. And then, uh, I found on, um, the Todd Geist site, the FileMaker, um, Modular FileMaker? Yeah. There's a database that, that had an example that actually connected to Twilio. Okay. And um, that made it really easy. And so it costs, I don't know, some fraction of a penny or whatever to send a, a text. Yeah, actually, Twilio, um, they are, if you send um, SMS is just text only, MMS or your multimedia messages mm-hmm. are, um, I think, yeah, like they're point zero zero two. There's another provider called bandwidth.com. And I think they're point zero zero one, so uh, a little bit cheaper than Twilio, and same type of API. So you basically can, you know, make the call. FileMaker natively can do it with an HTTPS POST uh, with the insert from yep. URL. Exactly. But you have to have that stupid field on the layout, which hopefully will change somewhere down the road. Would be nice, but other than that, yeah. You can you can send straight with FileMaker native. Now I couldn't manipulate. They wanted a square format, so you can do it 100% with FileMaker if you do it within JavaScript and use uh, HTML canvases. And you use a JavaScript library, you can do photo manipulation. But creating the GIF is a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. So that's where I decided to use the the server side operation of using a plugin. Plus the MBS plugin. I mean, there's there's nothing you couldn't think of that you would want to do that he doesn't already have baked in for the MBS plugin. Something like 4,300 different functions. Wow. But, I mean, they come in suites. Like, you know, the yeah. curl, all the curl functions, maybe that'll comprise like 50 mm-hmm. of them. But it's just, you can do just crazy, crazy cool stuff with that plugin. But it's pricey, so it's just how it goes. Yeah. Is it that much? I didn't think it was too bad. Um, well, I mean, if on the client basis, the, each client could be expensive. So if you go to the server, the server is, I think it's half of the cost of what FileMaker server was or something like that. Something like five five ninety nine or something like mm-hmm. that. Which is not bad for the functionality that you get. But if it's just a small little project and you only need one little aspect of it, which is basically uh, curl, if you're going to send stuff out, if you need to do some things. Then uh, it's a bit of a bit of a pain, but also did a little bit of PHP on that project too. I mean, it, it used everything that I knew outside of FileMaker plus FileMaker in order to uh, make it happen, which is the type of interesting project I like. Yeah, I'm looking at the pricing page for that, so you can get one forty nine for a single user license, one to five seats, right? And then pricing all the way up to if you wanted to get like one for your company, uh, unlimited for everything, that's three grand. And the server one, that should be like four or five hundred dollars, I think. Yeah, one FileMaker server is five ninety nine, or for a runtime solution. So there's presumably you go. maybe vertical. I don't know. So most, and there's yeah multiple server licenses too. 
Yeah. So if you were going to do a project and you had a bunch of iPads and they're in the field and you want to use it, you're six ninety nine. You said six ninety nine, right? Or uh, five ninety nine for one okay. server. Yeah. So six hundred bucks. So. Mm-hmm. But that six hundred bucks it buys you a lot. I mean, it buys, yeah, you any, sure. it buys you anything else that you could think of that you want to do. Except for the one thing that I don't like that's a little bit annoying, probably because he has to do um, sub-licensing, is if you want to do PDF manipulation. So he's got that built into the plugin, but it requires an extra library. I think it's yeah, Dynap, Dynap PDF. PDF. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So That's another 199 Yeah. Hmm, okay. But, I mean, if, once you get that plugin, <laughs> there's nothing you could do. Couldn't do, I should say. Couldn't do, yeah. yeah. You should, because the other way was wrong. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Correct, I was wrong. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's fascinating, though, that you this other project that you did had all this other crazy, complex, fun stuff, and yet yielded a perfectly working solution that met the customer's needs. We don't, I don't get those types of projects. I don't know. I'm not sure if it's a different marketing thing or, or what the reason is, but... Uh, I'm not really going to question it. I love the kind of stuff that we get. It's yeah. really fun. Well, I mean, especially if you've got if you've got stuff, you know, dialed in, you can cookie cutter a lot. Especially once you've got your uh, code routines, because they don't change a whole lot. In fact, on the magazine site I released a while ago, this little database called um, FM Recipes. I've got to send it to you. I mean, I release a lot of times through the magazine. I release these things. Mm-hmm. And a few people watch them, and then they pay attention, but they don't really get the impact of how much time it can save them. So the free plugin that you have, Base Elements plugin, mm-hmm. yeah. you can go out and get that, and it has full clipboard manipulation. So there are wonderful tools out there, like the um, from FM Butler, I think. They call it Clip Manager, which basically will store your those snippets, anything that you copy to the clipboard. But it doesn't it stores them all individually. So the organization is a little haphazard because most of it the time when you're going to replicate a feature from one file to another, it's composed of all of your different components. Uh, and I always tell everybody custom functions first, fields and tables next, scripts are third. And then finally are your UI or your layout elements. So if you remember that, that order of those four things, that's typically what you want to do. If you're going to replicate, okay, like one of the things I replicate into a database many, many times is mm-hmm. um, HTML email. FileMaker doesn't send HTML email. And many times people want to be able to send email out of FileMaker and they want to be able to you know, embed the image so that when you see it in a client, it actually shows the image rather than having it just as an attachment. An attachment, right, yeah. You just, FileMaker cannot do that at all. Right. It's completely brain dead. I mean, what are we living in here? Yeah, I know. 2016, and that goes back to like the 90s, like yeah. way, way early. Right. So with MonkeyBread, the, the plugin, you can do that, but I create a couple of custom functions, there's a script, and then a couple of fields that are necessary. So this FM Recipes database that I have, I just go copy the custom functions, and then I put them into this FM Recipes database, paste mm-hmm. them, and it puts it into a record. And then I go and I get the next part, the fields or whatever, and do the same thing for that, mm-hmm. and then the scripts, and then finally the layout elements. Right. So in order for me to put HTML email into any solution, it takes me a maximum of five minutes. Five to ten minutes because I go copy these from this FileMaker yep. database and go copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste. Done. HTML is in there. And so now 
the the thing is stop billing for your hours because if you just spent five to ten minutes to do that bill equivalent to what it took you for to develop it the first time because most everybody else they're probably billing you know giving it to a junior developer and saying here you know figure out what this code does and whatever so they're paying for learning time too now I'd be like, okay, you want HTML email built into your database? That's going to be, you know, a thousand dollars or fifteen hundred dollars. We'll put that part in, and then you can do more of a how much value would you charge billing. for? Yeah, I, I, well, I see your point. Um, how? What about if the customer wants the ability to directly address a camera from the iPad and also be able to have a signature block in there? Well, anything custom is where you can go. Those to aren't your... custom. Though. I'm just talking about using a built-in feature that looks to the customer like magic, and oh. also the, at one level, and then the other level, they also just expect it's there. I don't know. That's that's a question for, you know, recently I've had a situation where it's interesting. I've been dealing with with people who, as I've been getting older, when I was younger, I kept thinking, you know what? Oh, I can do this in four or five hours. And my time is worth X. Now I'm older, I deal with people and they just say, like, I don't, I have no clue how to do this. And so I look back on how much time it took me to get to the point where I can implement something in five minutes. And I say, the value doesn't come just directly from the amount of time that I'm spending. It's not just this five minutes. It's the 20 years that it took me to know exactly to go where for the resource. And then the resources that I have, pull from those, and then implement. So then I flip it okay. and I say, what's the value to the person? Do they, uh, do they want to be able to send HTML email and have their pictures embedded of their projects and all this other stuff? Mm-hmm. Why should they get away with only paying for five minutes worth of my time when if they went to anywhere else, they're going to be paying that money for somebody else that's either going to learn it or, or, or copy it from your method. Yeah, or go so to you're competing with you're going to compete. You know, you're competing with yourself. See if see if if that customer came to me, I would say, oh yeah, well I can just use Petrowski's method for that. <laughs> It'll take me five minutes, and I'm putting all these other things in that I also do, um, and then I'm also doing all this other work by getting a proper data model, good user interface screens, um, providing services, helping them get their file hosted. And I'm going to win the customer and you're not. So I'm going to get that. I'm going to be able to bill for that five minutes of work plus the other 20 hours of work. Plus, I'm going to have that customer for the next 10 or 15 years. Well, I mean, maybe. It depends on so how I, they I, evaluate what the value is to them. All right. I'm, just, I'm looking back at all the customers I have. And I, 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 I guess what I'm saying is I strongly disagree with you. I would not charge the customer $1,000 for something that takes me five minutes to do, even if it's providing $1,000 of value to them. Because you're just you're, you're arbitrarily saying this one feature that looks like magic that other FileMaker developers can't do, and you figured out a really cool way to do it in five minutes based on your 20 years of experience, and you know, um, it still only takes you five minutes. True, but it didn't and, and take I, I, me five minutes to learn how to do it in five minutes. Right, but but you're also saying you you know it took you twenty years to do that. But if you hired someone six months from now, they they'd have that tool and tons of other tools, and they didn't have to spend twenty years to do it. And so, are they going to charge a thousand dollars for that, or are they going to charge five minutes for that? They might. I think there are people who do, and there are people who don't. 
And I think the people, there are people who, I mean, granted, I can't, I'm speaking from a lack of experience here. I'm saying this is what I feel, what I've, the time I've taken to learn something, I've come to understand that the value is greater to someone else than it is to me. In other words, I devalue mm -hmm. my own abilities to do something because they're relative to me. So I'm like, I understand how quick and easy it is to put uh, the content in, mm -hmm. but other people, uh, here's a good example. I have a friend and he wanted a website. Okay, I know that there are companies out there that they will build you a full e-commerce website. Mm -hmm. And they have fixed rates. They'll charge you $2,500 or they'll charge you $5,000. Right. I know that these companies, once you've paid your $5,000, you are not getting $5,000 in terms of hours of work. Even at $80 or $100 or $200 because mm -hmm. they have a boilerplate system. They have a Model T and they created an assembly line. They say they take this template, they put in this mm -hmm. chunk, this chunk, and this chunk. Right. And so this friend of mine, he said, you know, I want a website, but these guys want so much. I kid you not, it took me half a day to set this guy up on Tumblr, a free public website, which you can mm -hmm. direct a domain to. And then he went, I said, go set up a PayPal account, set up a PayPal account, put him on Google Sheets, created mm -hmm. a little sheet that generates a calculation that creates a URL. And I said, now, every time, just go to the price that you want to charge, select this cell, copy it paste it onto your Tumblr thing and it'll link right over to PayPal and go. He, I did it for a friend, but the value to him to set up that website started at $2,500 for what somebody else would charge. So because what, he's yeah, my friend, what, what I don't one charge somebody him. else would charge. Okay, so you're making my point for me. You just took $2,500 away from that company because they're overcharging. Well, they're, they're only overcharging relative to the perception of the person who's buying. If in the marketplace he can't find anywhere else that will do it cheaper or didn't have me as a friend, he would have to pay $2,500 in order to get really? what he wanted. You, you think that he didn't have any other friends who could have done that or any other acquaintances who could have done it or any other companies who don't charge by that method who could have built him a website on WordPress or some other technology that gave him a full commerce site? For $1,000 or $500? Well, I think the market shows that there will always be people that will be willing to do something cheaper or less expensively mm -hmm. because they're hungrier and they want to get the work. And I think there's always going to be people who overcharge and have very few, they win very few deals, but the ones that they win are very high priced. Uh, I don't know. I've just never wanted to be that guy. But wouldn't you say that the... But, that the term itself, overcharge, actually comes in at a perceptive level where you're perceiving what is overcharging versus what is not. When if the person feels like they're getting value for their dollar, whether they pay $2,500 for a website or $500 for a website, if it solved their problem. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you there. The perception it, comes in as, oh, my gosh, you paid $2,500, you overpaid. Well, that just, I, I look back at the, again, the last 50 projects we've done, and a few of those actually have been projects where we can go to the customer and they say, I don't really care how long it takes you. I have this much budget. Can you do it for that amount of money? And, or, or, you know, or we say to them, this is how much it's going to take, and, and we fix a price, and we do it for that price. And so it's entirely based on the value and not based on the hours of effort. Um, 
some of those projects are profitable because you can you can do that value um, in less hours than you think it should be, right? Like your example of five minutes of work for HTML email, which, like you said also, should just totally be a feature in FileMaker. It's embarrassing that it's not there. So if they're comparing FileMaker to any other technology, no other technology is going to charge them $1,000 for an obvious feature that should be there. And so you're, that's kind of ridiculous well, they, at that they level. Might. It depends on how it's how it's charged for. And there's also cloud mail from 360 works and tons of other ways to do that, to solve that problem. Um, but, but on the, I've also had projects where we've set a fixed price for something and look at the scope of what it's going to be and then get into the project and discover that it's not at all what we thought. And now we're into it and we've agreed on a price and now we're actually not making any money on it because of, because of how complex and big the project was that we didn't understand. So it's, it's very, very much in the customer's interest when they start a project and you get a value kind of a thing for them to not tell you what the whole scope is. And, but if they're paying you hourly, it's a really good balance. So if you've got a good trust relationship where the work that you do, you're charging for all the hours, and the stuff that they're telling you in scope, if they're telling you everything that need, actually gets done, it's a really good mix. I think it's a, it sets a very good relationship up. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, we'd have to save the, the conversation for another time because oh, – I mean, We've had this value discussion on the podcast a few times. Yeah, and I mean, there's been people out there that have uh, promoted uh, both ways. And then, you know, when you you look at it, even on hourly, when you start to factor in your hours, it doesn't matter what the project is. If you think you can do it in four, it's probably going to take you six. It always ends up taking more time than your mind actually thinks. You're like, I just did this. The tail end of that... that Mm -hmm database for the tv Mm -hmm. show i was like yeah i think i can knock out the uh, implementing the api for the sending of the sms in four hours it took me six it literally Mm -hmm. took me six because once i got into the api you cannot account for unanticipated events like why the heck will the gif not send the jpeg it sends perfectly is this on their end is Mm -hmm. it something that's on my end is it because the you know, I don't have a content disposition in the HTTP header, and that, and because there's no file name, is that why? And so, because you don't know what that one little intricate thing is, mm-hmm. it takes you that extra two hours of your time, which you've placed a monetary value on, and you're sitting there thinking, geez, I've just spent two hours now extra doing this. I told them four. You're now going to have to basically downcharge or charge less hourly in order to meet the budget expectations. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you go hourly, I would, I would, I've, I'm coming to find that when I do charge, it's like I can't tell you how much time this is going to take. If you want to go hourly, here is my rate, and at the end, I'll tell you what it is. If you want, need to work on a fixed budget, here's what I'm going to charge for these particular features. Do you want HTML built in? fine, that's going to be $1,000. You want whatever else built in? That gives somebody something that they can mentally work with. Okay, mm-hmm. we can't put in HTML email right now. Just give me plain sending email. Okay, fine, mm-hmm. that's, that's you know $400 or whatever. So you build it in because you're not just adding the script step. You're adding the user interface. You're integrating it mm-hmm. into the data model. You're actually putting in a lot of functionality, not just the script step. 
Totally. So, I don't know. <laughs> it's just a reevaluation of how I'm finding out that uh, my time gets eaten away so quickly, and then when I give people hourly times, which is basically the same as giving them a fixed dollar amount, I'm like, oh, crap, I've just spent more time, and why do I feel crappy because I basically had to reduce my rate in order to meet their budget? So what you're hitting at is the effective rate calculation. And that's basically if you uh, take take the hours that you actually put into it and divide it by the amount of uh, money that you charge to come up with your rate. So if you normally charge 200 an hour, and you so you estimated that the customer is going to be $800 for that, four hours times 200, but you spent six hours, now your effective rate goes down to which like is, 150. And, and which is going to be different on every project. Because That's right. every project, there's going to be some monkey, and it's going to throw a wrench in there, and you're like, bing, 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 oh, crud. You know, this just fell apart, and now, you know, my time just got devalued because I have to adjust my rates. That's right, if you do it that way. So, now, if you just do hourly, then your effective rate is your rate in all situations. Yes, if you don't throw in any type of expectations. If you say... No, you can still throw them in. So usually what we do on a project would be uh, we would estimate at the beginning because you always need to do that. And so we think this is going to be 20 hours. When we hit to 15, we'll tell you, hey, we've hit a couple of stumbling roadblocks here. Um, it looks like it's going to take a few extra hours over than what we thought. And then you, you pause at that point so you don't just go way over and send them an invoice for much more than they th- thought they were going to be paying. And that's yeah, but- really easy to do. That's not a, that's not a long conversation. But then what's but, their option? You're like, we hit 15 hours. Your, the amount that you expected to spend is now spent. Uh, we can give you a, you know, a marginally working solution. Somebody's feeling bad there. The person's either feeling bad because they have to spend more money or you're feeling bad because you're not giving eh, not really what they want. Sure. But that's kind of both things. So, that, so there's... Uh, but you're at least communicating, right? So you're saying, hey, you know, we estimated it was going to be this. We hit a stumbling block. That's so common in software. Yeah. Um, like you said, you, you can't predict some of these things. So there's another approach. We don't use it, but a lot of companies do, called target cost billing. So you set a specific thing. You say, okay, it's going to be 20 hours. If we come in under that, then we're going to charge you for half of the hours like the difference. So if we actually do it in 15 um, uh you're going to pay not for 15 hours, but you're going to pay for 15 hours at our full rate plus half the rate of the difference between 15 and 20. So the extra five hours, you're going to pay for two and a half. But if we do the project and it takes us 25 hours, we're going to charge you the full rate for the 20 hours we did it. Plus you're going to pay um, half the difference or half of the amount from 20 to 25. So basically you're kind of you're, – you're aiming and you're, you're forcing um, – the rate to come down to what you estimated it was going to be. So both parties kind of want to push it into that direction. So if you get to the point where it's going to go over, then the customer can take things out of scope to get it down to that point. And if you think you're going to go under, the customer can add things on there to kind of get it up to the scope. Uh, You know, it kind of, it sort sort of self-correcting by using that model, but it's also kind of complex to explain, um, well, I'm in no way a, a follower of my own words. I'm just basically speaking from of the projects that I've done recently where I did have to back down. How do I start to value my time more so that I get 
what I expect that I'm worth. In other words, I meet my hourly rate that I want mm-hmm. rather than having to cut it down and feel bad that I'm in a losing proposition mm-hmm. so that I value my knowledge. And so I'd much rather be, I think be in a situation where I'm in, I can, I can say, yes, on the parts that I do know that are fixed using this HTML email as a model, or, mm-hmm. if I can put that in and I can say, okay, if you want to put that in, it's going to be a thousand dollars for everything else that's custom to your solution, I'm going to charge you $190 an hour. Um, I don't know how long that'll take. You never do. It's sort of like when you start to build a house from scratch, you have to go get the materials. It just takes the time mm-hmm. that it takes in order to build. But that gives me a little bit of flexibility that comes back that if I've met my hourly rate, I'm in the position to say, you know what? The project actually turned out easier, and I can back off on the things that I know are fixed. You know, that HTML email, Mm -hmm. I can back it off and say, you know, we're going to charge you $500 for that. And that is a big, you know, that feels good for the customer. And I think you would keep the customer that way. So, I don't know, maybe it's a hybrid approach. I've never done it. I'm just thinking completely out loud here. I mean, I'm doing hourly stuff myself, so... Yeah, I don't know. In, in almost every project that we do, we do something like that HTML email example. You know, we put an FM log, which put, which took me a huge amount of time to distill it down to something that I can now put into every single solution we do in five minutes. But I don't charge for that. I just put it in there. I put it in there in five minutes because it's got huge utility to me to find out how the solution is used, what layouts are used, what scripts are used who's editing what records, who's viewing what records, when are people logging in, when are they logging out. That has massive utility to me as a developer. Yeah. Even if the customer doesn't see it. To the point where if I can put it in there and not even charge, you know, for some situations, for small implementations. Um, Also, we put in uh, search results or a version of that. We put in recent records, which another thing like that. We put in different widgets and uh, follow-up features and send email features and all these other little things and widgets we've done in other programs that we've got them really, really nice. We copy and paste that stuff in. It's just all comes along for the ride, just like all the free stuff that you get in FileMaker. I don't have to rewrite how a portal functions in FileMaker because they've done that. Yeah. Um, well, I'm not talking about being ridiculous, but I know where I'm going to go. If I need a database, I'm going to go to you. I'm going to get yeah. a lot of stuff. Well, see, that's... <laughs> To me, it, it, has, it brings me a lot of joy to be able to, to bring all that stuff to the customer and to do, much, to do a lot of projects and get them done quickly. Um, and that's totally good if you're and, making and make, your rate. Yeah, and make our rate. So that yeah. that's, sounds ideal to me. And that's kind of what we're doing. But on the other hand, we could charge, we could take a lot fewer customers, charge them by value, only and potentially make a lot more money. I know some cust- some companies have done that. Um, I think that's biggest- a really good thing for a developer to actually evaluate. Which yeah. position do they want to be in? Do you, Are you a developer that you like to get on a project and just work on that thing until you just, you know, refine this massive masterpiece? You know, you're a constant tweaker refiner and you like mm-hmm. to really... You know, flesh things out, or do you like variety? Do you get bored easy, and once something comes on, you want to jump to another project yeah. and have that challenge, that new thing? I think I don't I'm, know. I'm the latter part. I think. And, and then there's it, this is. I think we're there's much more to this too. If you take a look at a couple things, so here's a couple of other little examples. I know we've been talking a long time here. <laughs> um, 
so Kirk Bowman, right? Uh, Mighty Data. Yeah. Uh, there no. Uh, he was the biggest proponent of this value approach. Yeah. Now John Stark uh, is too. John Stark is too, but he doesn't really do FileMaker. No, he doesn't. Not anymore. So, uh, and neither does Kirk Bowman. He's actually no longer doing, as far as I know, no longer doing FileMaker projects. They, so they kind of went from this pretty good-sized company doing all these big FileMaker projects and spouting value as the approach that they do it to nothing. That's not the direction I want to go in. But so we're now, still lacking information. We don't know where they are, you know, whether they got the end result that they wanted. I don't, yeah, you're right. And also, he actually got so into the value thing that now he actually makes his living helping other companies use that value approach. I'm not sure if those are companies in the FileMaker space, which is a tiny microcosm. Um, so that's great. So I think he actually kind of went, you know, he got so into the value that he made that his career, which is great. Um, I like FileMaker, though, so that's what, I, what I'm doing. Um, then you have other companies who have these huge templates. Like a lot of the big FileMaker guys have um, have template approaches to what they do. Productive Computing has that. RCC. Um, yeah, Richard Carlton. Uh, and then you've got other ones, third-party ones, like uh, Seed Code Complete, a totally beautiful, completely um, you know, beautifully skinned and nicely modeled and perhaps difficult to uh, customize, maybe not, I don't know, um, built solution that you can buy as a starting point for your project. And I've very much not wanted to do that. When we start a solution, I really strongly like to start from scratch because it's so easy to copy and paste all the elements that you need and nothing that you don't um, into a file new type of a solution. So that's, again, my approach, right or wrong. Yeah, that sometimes... And I do both. Sometimes I start with a template, depending on what they're headed for. Sometimes I start with nothing. I'd say it's more on the percentage of the nothing, the nothing end, but that's mostly because you know as a developer, having developed the, old, the previous system, that you're carrying older baggage that you don't, you're not taking advantage of the newer features that have come out in newer versions. So That's, if I have something that I've developed and it does not take advantage of button bars because they didn't exist, I know mm-hmm. that I'm carrying forward some cruft. Yes, yeah, so, so there's that. But the bigger thing to me is every single thing that's in your solution that isn't actually needed by the solution has a very, very low cost at the start of the project and very high cost two years later, five years later, 15 years later. Yeah, you're talking about maintenance cost. You, right. you have to discern what's the parts that are being used versus what's not being used. And so right. FileMaker being the gigantic ball of spaghetti mess that it ends up being, that's almost impossible to discern unless from the time that you developed it, you knew how you were going to track what was used versus what got phased out and wasn't <laughs> Well, that's FM log right there. <laughs> <laughs> you get a chart that tells you which layouts were used and which weren't and well, by who. There you go. Yeah. Cool. Well, we could go on and on and on and on. Oh, I love this discussion. <laughs> and you're right, we could, but we do have to stop. Yep. We're like, got... I need to get out of the car. My commute <laughs> is over. <laughs> that was an hour. All right. Well, always great to talk to you, man. Any any parting shots here? Oh, no. We covered it all. We did our What's Not FileMaker. Didn't do our l- nice little snazzy segues, but hey. That's all right. You've got your outro music there, right? Cue outro music now. <laughs> you say it I provide I don't remember it. this one I like it I think I use this in my videos I, I get 
<laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen of the FileMaker universe, those of you learning, those of you that are experienced, both of us, we hope you uh, enjoy your time with FileMaker today and in the future, because we know well, we're developing. Well said, sir. <laughs> All right. Talk to you again soon. See ya.